Hey guys, the construction monk here. I hope you're doing well. Let me ask you a question. What makes the world work? There's this <laughs> kind of silly 50s doo-wop style song with some lyrics that go, Chantilly lace and a pretty face. A wiggle when you walk and a giggle when you talk makes the world go round. (laughs) Right? Is that it? Is that the secret of life, baby? (laughs) A pretty face and a sexy body. What makes the world go round? What makes the world work? Or maybe the question is what makes the world work for you? How does your world work? You know, there's just a lot of conflict, confusion contention between a lot of people about how the world is working, how the world should work. Sometimes this is what we call social justice issues or just, you know, the social order of things, right? The political order. A lot of people are waking up every day thinking, "Mm, the world just ain't working for me. Well, how does the world work? And how is the world meant to work? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. We are in the middle of a long-term series entitled Calling All Mystics Notes from the Road, and we are in the middle of a section called Balance. And today is note 28, Superstition. Yeah. There's this great line in the movie, The Mission. And it's it's a story about the conquistadors, (laughs) the Spanish and British people coming into South America. And it's about the slave trade and it's about this wrangling. And there are areas where people are allowed to capture slaves and there are areas where they are not. And it's, there's this contention over our people going into those unforbidden areas and, there's a group of Christians who have established a mission, right? And this Catholic cardinal comes in to investigate how this mission is in the middle of this fight, right? Because they're in this territory that's not supposed to be in the slave trade. But they're figuring out that there's, there's some foul play. And so this cardinal comes in and... In the end, I'll just cut to the chase, and it's a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, but in the end, the mission takes a stand with the native people against the slave trade, and they lose. Everybody dies. And one of the final scenes is this cardinal talking with these powerful political people who have gotten their way, and one of the political powerful, says, ah, thus is the world. And the cardinal states this powerful line. He says, no, thus have we made the world. That's the question. Thus is the world or thus have we made the world. The world you see, guys, is a mix of Thus is the world, and thus have we made the world. The truth is, you have a lot more ability 
to make your world, then you realize, and it's not just an individual pursuit, pursuit, it's a collective pursuit. And what part does God play? Today's note is superstition, right? One of the things I want to talk to you about today is mysticism. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> this, whole, this whole series is calling all mystics, right? But I want to talk to you about the stigma of mysticism. You know, I started out in the hyper-intellectual church where it's like learn the truths, read your Bible, know the truths, do the best you can, follow the rules, that's it. And, you know, God is talked about, Jesus is talked about. It's like, yes, we have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, he's the good shepherd. Yes, we follow Jesus. And there is this Holy Spirit person, but there was no real idea of any real contact with God taught to me or, or, or encouraged. In fact, I would say the opposite was true. The idea that I could know God was discouraged not necessarily in in word, but in deed. <laughs> right? It was like, oh yeah, yeah, God's here. We pray to God and we feel the Spirit sometimes in worship, but don't talk about really hearing God and following God in a present way. That's I actually had a professor one time tell me, crazy people think they hear from God. These are the people that blow up abortion clinics and... You know, it's like, well, <clears throat> so my journey has been reading scripture and taking scripture at face, at face value. You know, a lot of, it's a big book, right? <laughs> 66 books that span a period of 4,000 years or so. Job is supposedly, as far as we can tell, the earliest book written. Revelation will be the last book in the Protestant Codex. <laughs> now, the Catholic includes the Pseudepigrapha and Apocrypha, which extra books that others don't accept, right? <clears throat> anyway, that's the canonized Bible, and different denominations sometimes accept different books into their canon, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to, you know, be aware of that. But It's a lot of books that say a lot of things. And it has the view of God from a lot of different periods in time. <clears throat> but one thing that is replete throughout Scripture is people that had direct contact with God. We wouldn't have Scripture if people didn't have direct contact with God. And yet, <coughs> did it end in Revelation with John? Was John the last person that could actually hear God and have dreams and visions and direct, a direct word from God? Hebrews gives us the clear indication that Jesus was the last perfect word of God. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said that we should be one with God as he was one with God. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm the last person that will ever hear from God, period. See you later. Here's the book. <laughs> no, Jesus said, I'm going away, and it's really good because then I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. May you be one with the Father as I am one. 
Jesus came as an example of who we are also to be in relationship with God. This is why he came. So, even though I was taught, you got the Bible, read it, figure it out, understand it, apply it as best you can to your life, and that's the game. As I began to do what my church taught me, I began to figure out that that's not the game. <laughs> like, you can know God. It's not easy. It's a journey. The biggest thing that I lacked in my Christian journey wasn't Christian scriptures that told me I could know God and should know God. It was people around me that said, no, that's not true. And I was like, well, you guys told me to read the Bible and the Bible says it's true and you're telling me it's not true. So who should I listen to? Right. But I'm telling you guys, my point is there is a great suspicion in a lot of modern evangelical Protestant Christian circles about your ability to really hear, know, and follow the voice of God in your life. And yet Jesus makes it clear. Scripture makes it clear. I love Psalm 119. We're not going to go there. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 3. Because I want to talk to you about the balance of head and heart, which is soul and spirit, which is what you can know with your mind and understand and perceive and what you can't, what's beyond your perception, but is still very much a part of this whole God thing, which is knowing God. Knowing God is a mystery. That's why it's called mystical. But it's not magical, and there's a difference. Magical is I don't understand. It just happens because I said the right words and I did the formula, and I don't understand it. Mystical is no. It's beyond your understanding in some ways, but you can experience it. And there is a path and a process that is knowable, right? This is the cataphatic and the apophatic put together. This is transrational. <laughs> There's pre-rational, rational, and transrational, which, which puts what some might consider pre-rational with the rational together, which means, you know, this is, this is just the concept of the evolution of human consciousness there was a time of pre-rational which i talked about you know this julian guy talked about three thousand years ago people heard god in their brains and they followed that instead of following their own understanding and then the last three thousand years especially in western culture has been rational the rise of rational right intellectual which has been good but with the rise of rationalism has come this superstitious or the suspicious view of the superstitious. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. A suspicion of the mystical. Because what? We, we can figure it out. This is actually humanism and naturalism at its core. Is like, you know what, guys? We can know a lot and we can do a lot. And yes, that's true. So we've been on a path from the pre-rational to the rational. But now we're coming to the trans-rational, which puts them together which says you know what I can know a lot but there's a lot I can't know and there's a lot I need to relegate to the realm of God and so I need to learn to trust and hear God as a part of my journey why because God's bigger God has a higher mind as it, as Isaiah right, writes or as God speaks through Isaiah as high as the heavens are above the earth so are my ways above your ways my thoughts above your thoughts do you want to live life according to your own perception, ideas, abilities to understand and achieve. 
Okay, I mean, that's a choice. You can do that. Or, do you want to live life according to God's wisdom and ways? That's a choice. But I'm telling you, if you're going to come to God, you're going to have to come to God. Not to a religion, not to a book, not to your own ideas about these things or other people's ideas. But coming to God himself is what scripture advocates. It's The Bible is full of stories of people who followed God when it didn't seem rational, sensible, good, or prudent. Right? <laughs> Uh, that's what we're talking about. I just want you to understand you're going to encounter in Christianity a suspicion of the supernatural, which is what has become known as superstition. This is really cool. <laughs> we'll get to Proverbs chapter 3. There's a song. We're gonna let's do the definition of superstitious first. There's a song by Stevie Wonder called "Superstition," which is pretty cool. Um, definition of <laughs> superstitious. Sorry, superstition: excessively credulous belief in and reverence for supernatural beings. Excessive. Credulous. That's a word you don't hear. It means it's not credible. A widely held but unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event or a practice based on such a belief. Here's an example in the dictionary definition. She touched her locket for luck. A, superst- a superstition she had had since childhood. You know what's really funny? <laughs> There's a lot of superstitiousness in sports, right? It's like, we've been winning, and I haven't washed my jersey for five weeks, and I'm not going to wash my jersey because it might break the streak, <laughs> the winning streak, right? Or every time I watch my team play, I wear this shirt or... I don't wash my socks or I'm going to grow my beard out so my hockey team will win until they win. Right? <laughs> These are the kind of silly, like I'm not walking under the ladder. If I spill salt, I'm going to toss it over my shoulder. These are superstitions. And so there's, a, there's kind of a silly aspect to that. But... We are overly suspicious of the supernatural. It's cool. Um, Superstition comes from two Latin words, meaning super and stare, or over and to stand. You know, it comes from the notion of standing over something in awe. I I don't know, you know, words, (laughs) language. Superstitio is the Latin to stand over. It's interesting. There's a, a Rastafarian phrase, to overstand. Uh, in Rastafarianism, don't ask me why, my, my brother's a hippie, right? <laughs> so, in Rastafarianism, they like to take phrases and change them. And like, so there's this phrase we use, oh, to understand. And there's a Rastafarian phrase, to overstand. If, you, if you're under 
standing under something, then you, you haven't reached up to it. To overstand means that you've come up, up above. You've risen up. You've transcended. And God is the transcendent, which causes us to overstand. Which is funny because that's what superstition means. To overstand. What we might call silly superstition in reality can be reaching to a higher level of understanding, which is to overstand. <laughs> Thanks, my Rasta buddies. Uh, cool, huh? All right, let's get to the song. Very superstitious. Wash your face and hands. Woo! Is the, here, I'll just read it because Stevie, man, I can't sing like Stevie. Um, very superstitious. Wash your face and hands. Rid me of the problem. Do all that you can. Keep me in a daydream. Keep me going strong. You don't want to save me. Sad is the soul. That's one of the verses, and here's the chorus. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jersey boys represent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not how Stevie does it. He's much more cool when he does it. Is that true? When you believe in things you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way, okay? But superstition means to overstand. But I think this is true, actually, when you believe in things that you don't understand. So what's been my journey? I've been trying to understand what is salvation? What is redemption? What is renewal? What is resurrection? What does it really mean to be saved by Jesus? What have we been talking about? Receive the Holy Spirit. Learn to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Learn to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, which means what? You've got to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Which means you have to start to get in tune and in touch with every aspect of your personhood. Spirit, soul, body, heart, mind, physical self. I've heard a lot of people say, man, we're a very disembodied culture. We're also very... Uh, we're also a culture very suspicious of emotion. And so look, God has come to redeem us in all our parts, right? Your emotions aren't bad. You need to be trained in your emotions. But the emotive part of you speaks to the, to the deeper part of your spirit, which is able to connect with God's spirit. God's spirit is very emotive. It's really interesting, you know. <clears throat> so... We can have a very negative view of emotions. And so we can have a very negative view of mysticism, which a lot of people try to define as being over-reliant on subjective feelings. And so feelings are subjective. Logical, rational truths are objective. Right? That's what we believe. That's what we've been taught. But let me tell you something. Truth is very subjective. God is very subjective. God with you is very subjective. It's like you're a person in a body with thoughts and feelings and how you feel matters. God cares how you feel. God actually works through how you feel. God can teach you through your feelings and your thoughts. When you put them together, that's a pretty good package. That's over-rational or that's super-rational, sorry. (laughs) That's what it means to overstand. 
not to not to just understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gotta start to overstand. We need to be superstitious in a way that is that is partnered with our rational, where they work together, right? Emotions by themselves when untrained and under underdeveloped aren't good. But the rational by itself isn't any better because we can be just as deceived in our thinking as in our feeling. This is what the term to rationalize means. You can create a lot of rational, logical arguments around a false truth, a false construct, a false theory. And you can create a completely logical system But if the premise is wrong, it doesn't matter. It'll seem logical. It'll fit. It'll all work together. Um, This is kind of the constructs of of logical arguments, right? You can have hundreds of logical arguments, but if they're based on a wrong premise, they will sound good. They will all fit together, but the foundation of them is wrong. But you may not see that. And this is often how our thought life, emotion life, our habits get built Somewhere down the line, this is called the big lie or the inherent lie in our hearts and minds. These are footholds and strongholds. Some, somewhere down the line, sometimes we've believed a lie and then built a whole structure on that. That's the sin nature in a sense. Remember I told you about the vision I had where God pulled out the scaffolding from inside me? And he had spent seven years pulling all the things that had been built upon that off first, Right? There's the lies we believe and then there's the life we build upon them. One of the lies we've believed culturally is it's really dumb and irrational to think you hear God and to follow that voice. And we've been on this journey away from that, right? It's really cool that Stevie Wonder song talks about that. When you believe in things you don't understand, I think you, you can suffer. What does scripture say? Let's get to Proverbs chapter 3. And then I want to get to the story of um, this guy named Cyrus Sylvester Nussbaum. (laughs) He lived from 1861 to 1973. He was a, a hymn writer and he wrote this hymn. And I want to talk to you about that. But let's get to Proverbs first. Proverbs chapter 3. This is one verse. I learned it in a song when I was a kid, so I'm going to sing it to you first. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will make your path straight. Yes, He will. He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will make your path straight. Yeah, I like that. Isn't that good? It's a good little song. Songs are a good way to memorize Scripture. This is what the Scripture says. This is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. That's good. That's verses 5 through 8. 
Okay, guys, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What is heart? Spirit. In the very center of your being, there is this felt sense that you can have of connection to God that brings you goodness, that grounds you in the world. Like, what we don't really understand is logic does not ground us. Knowing all these truths and facts, I've seen people, guys, spin themselves in circles with facts around and around and around and it's like they're chasing their tail they know a lot of stuff they don't know how to put it together and it doesn't ground them in something real and true trust trusting in god with all your heart means there is this real felt sense of confidence you can have in the truth of god like even knowing a lot of scriptures can spin you in circles well and there's a lot of seemingly contradictory statements like an evil generation seeks a sign but God gives a sign. <laughs> Jesus said, no sign will be given this generation but the sign of Jonah. In, in that same passage, he says, evil because the, the Jewish people or Jewish leaders that come demanding Jesus give them a sign. He's like, an evil generation seeks a sign and none shall be given it except the sign of Jonah. In that one passage, Jesus is like, it's evil to seek a sign, but God does give you signs. And so you can read scripture and go, oh, we shouldn't seek signs. No. It's evil to demand God prove himself to you by, like, whatever, magic. But it's good when God gives you and confirms things to you because that's important. Like, that's what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. It means that there is this felt sense of confidence and goodness and groundedness in God. It's it, the heart because it's spirit, because it's more a feeling. We need to have a sense of God in our feelings. It's good. And it says, then it follows that with, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean. Like, it's interesting. It doesn't, doesn't say do not be grounded in your own understanding. It says don't even lean on it. It's like this is a so nuanced. It's like don't even use it as a partial support like a cane, right? Like if you were felt wobbly, and you could still walk and stand, but you just kind of, every once in a while, you needed that extra support. It's like, don't even use your understanding as a little bit of an extra support. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and He will make your path straight. What does it mean to trust in your own understanding? You're trying to figure out the path you should go. You're trying to find it, follow it, versus what? Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit's leading you. How does the Spirit lead you? Well, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge to give acknowledgement to God. Like, hey, I see you. You're here. I know you're here. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to put you in front of me instead of me or something else or someone else or a system of truth, right? Remember, Satan operates through systems of truth. Religion can be a system of truth, void, devoid of God. That looks good, but puts you at the center and your own understanding. But Proverbs 3 drops this wisdom on us. Don't even lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with the very core of your being, spirit. And in all your ways, 
acknowledge and acquiesce to God. And He will make your path straight. Do you feel like you're wandering in life? Like you're making all these decisions, but you don't know where they're leading you and if they'll really work out? Well, guess what, guys? God doesn't do that. He's not like, well, let's try this and see how it works. (laughs) There's this really funny uh, Simpsons episode, old school, where shows Homer talking with God. And Homer's like, you know, I don't want to go to church anymore. And God's like, "I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing from memory but God's like yeah let's give that a try and the whole episode goes on and I think Homer starts his own religion and it just takes him on this wild you know Homer Simpson journey and a lot of crazy things happen and at the end everything goes bad and then Homer ends up back in church and shows the last scene he's walking with God and God's like well that didn't work (laughs) like guys that's that it's funny it's a funny episode but it's not funny in real life and that's not how God is God isn't like well let's see if this works God knows when you walk with God acknowledge him when you don't trust in your own understanding God will make your path straight why because he knows the outcome he knows the end he knows all the steps in between like thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that's Psalm 119 thy word not thy words, not the written words, but like, yes, Scripture is good. But when you read in Scripture about God's word, words can be written and spoken, and both are good. When God speaks a word to you and says, do this, like, then you, there's the goodness of the confidence to know, God told me to do this, and I'm going to do it, and it's going to work out. It may not work out right away. It may take a long time to work out. But what does it say? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord means give respect and awe to God and understand when God says something, you know it's true and you know it's the biggest truth. It's absolutely true. Fear the Lord is like have respect and awe for what God says. Not, of course, what he's written in the past or what he's spoken through others, but also what he says to you. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Like it will bring you life and goodness. It will restore your life. As Jesus said, come away with me. Learn from me. You'll restore your life. You'll recover your life. <laughs> that was the um, message Bible version of that passage. You know, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am humble of heart and meek and you will find rest for your souls, right? It will bring healing to your even your physical body and refreshment to your bones. But body can also mean spirit and soul, right? It's cool and it's true. So, if we're going to follow God, we're not going to follow ourselves, right? Let's talk about Cyrus Sylvester Nussbaum. <laughs> he was um, a Methodist pastor. We'll end with this. Um, as I said, 1861 to 1973. He was born at Middlebury, Indiana. He's an Indiana boy. Oh, that's my bro. That's my bro. I was born in California, but I grew up in Indiana. So I consider myself an Indiana boy. A Midwesterner, an Indianian. <laughs> anyway, he went to school in Marion County, Kansas. Oh, he taught. Sorry, he taught school in Marion County, Kansas. 
um, got married. In 1886, the year he got married, he was ordained as a Methodist minister, right? And um, he was actually called a supply preacher where he had this, this circuit. A lot of preachers back then, pastors, when in, in more rural places in the United States, they would travel the circuit. They would go and preach at several different churches. And I think, you know, I don't really know the details. They, they would might preach at one church this Sunday and that church the next Sunday. And because there just weren't that many ministers sometimes in, in, the, in rural areas. And so it would be like, I don't know if they traveled all week, but it was just a hard thing to do. And so he had seven different churches, and he was on the circuit. And that was his first commission. And so uh, sorry. I'm looking for this. <laughs> Here it is. He wrote this hymn out of this really low point in his life when he first got this commission. He's doing these seven different churches and it's the salary was low. It was just really difficult. Of course, you're traveling through, you know, a lot of remote places. He was really tired and discouraged after a couple of years of this. He attended the annual conference of the Methodist churches and he was hoping for a better appointment, better salary. But he was reassigned to the same circuit. He was just, he was very discouraged and he was kind of just fed up, right? And so at the end of that meeting, he went back to his hotel. His wife went to bed. He stayed up late and he just was really wrestling and praying. It says about midnight, finally, after all this wrestling and contention and frustration, it says he knelt in prayer and told God he could have his way regardless of the cost. And it inspired him to write this hymn. The hymn is called Let... Or the hymn is called His Way With Thee. <clears throat> now here's some of the lyrics. Would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see was best for him to have his way with thee. This guy wrote this hymn. Looking for um, for the date of the hymn itself, but roughly a hundred years ago, guys. You know, I, I this hymn came to my mind one morning when I was really just struggling with the things God was doing in me. I was tired, a little frustrated, struggling, and discouraged. And this God brought this hymn to me. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. Was best for him to have his way with thee. That hymn came to me. And I was like, you know, gosh, 100 years ago, this guy wrestling. What does the hymn say? <clears throat> Spirit, soul. It mentions these words, right? Um, it says, His blood can cleanse your heart, spirit, and make you free. His love can fill your soul, and you will see. Like, I was just thinking, like, man, guys, we've forgotten 
what our, what our spirit heart is. We've forgotten what our soul is, right? And in Christianity, it's no less true. And I read this, I was like, a hundred years ago, I think this guy understood this truth that it's taken me a while to come to, that my church couldn't teach me. And I was like, you know, it only takes one generation to forget things. Yes, we've been on this progression for 3,000 years away from spiritual and what it means in mysticism. But it's been a slow progression. And I'm thinking, like, how, how long has it been since we've lost this wisdom? It's been a progression. But also, like, 100 years ago, there was this guy who got it. He understood spirit, soul, heart. He understood what it meant to really, what, live for Jesus, walk with him on the narrow road. Like, this guy had a relationship with God. He wrestled, he struggled, he prayed, and he felt God speak to him. And it's something the church has forgotten. Not only that, it's something the church has become very suspicious of. And yet, is that a modern phenomenon? It's been a slow progression, but with the rise of the Enlightenment period, and the Industrial Revolution, it's just like hype. It's like amped this up even more. My point? You're going to find a lot of resistance to the idea within a lot of Christian circles that you can hear God, and you should. How does the world work? How does the world work for you? If the world's working for you using your intellect and rational thinking, and if you're going to be a Christian and say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I don't have any contact with him. Are you really following Jesus? Or are you following yourself? Are you following your pastor? Are you following a set of creeds? A systematic theology? Those things are helpful. But everything is meant to lead us back to God. That's mysticism. That's what Proverbs chapter 3, the writer there, shares and says. Don't trust in your own understanding. Don't even lean on it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be superstitious. Don't just understand, but overstand. And understand that only God can make you overstand. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, I love it, guys. Mm. It's something, isn't it? The idea that you can hear God. Culturally speaking, guys, it's it's just there's such an opposition in our culture, and not surprisingly, there's such an, such an opposition. In Christian culture today. <clears throat> but guess what? Mysticism. The ancient ways are on the rise. People are becoming more interested in mysticism. There are good parts. There are bad parts. There's misunderstanding. There's misoverstanding. <laughs> There's some things that can be imbalanced towards the side of mysticism just as towards the side of rationalism. It's a balance. Remember, it's transrational. 
we're not, we're not, I mean, God hasn't taken us on a journey into the rational to cause us to leave it behind completely, but it's to be balanced, right? God is sensible. God has a mind and a heart. We have a mind and a heart. Put them together in a body and you got the whole person, spirit, soul, body. That's the point. We've been so much mind lately and it's been a progression, but like it's become hyper-rational and it's become hyper-detached from our heart, spirit, emotions. Mysticism is bringing that element back in in a way that doesn't push out the need for our mind, soul, but it's putting all this back together in a good way that brings in our ability to hear God and let God lead because God leads through emotions and thoughts and physical sensations. That's mysticism, really. That's the proper perspective that mysticism can bring into the whole thing, which puts God at the center and God leading the way instead of your own thoughts. Hey guys, this has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. Thanks for listening, guys. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Love you guys. Let's keep talking about what it means to be a mystic, what it means to really let God lead the way. (laughs) Love you guys. Bye.